All right, Nick, so it's July again, which is a very exciting time because we know that this means that there are new incoming residents to uh, OBGYN. Absolutely. Brand new faces. Welcome to labor and delivery. Welcome to the oncology floor. Welcome to the clinic, wherever you are. We hope that you're getting welcomed into OBGYN, and we want to make sure that you know about a great resource in OBG First and the OBG Core. So the OBG core, as many of your senior residents will tell you, is absolutely free to all residents. So we wanted to make sure that you know about that. And then also, again, you also will get access for free if you are a resident to OBG first, as well as the labor and delivery book from the OBG project. There are tons and tons of great resources through the OBG project. You can find them on their website at obgproject.com. But if you're interested in getting signed up for this premium product of theirs for absolutely free for all four years of residency, head over to our website, creagsrivercoffee.com, check out the sidebar, and get signed up today. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is... Creags over over coffee. coffee. We're very excited today to welcome a special guest to the podcast once again. Today we are joined by Dr. Brenna Hughes. Dr. Hughes is a professor and the vice chair of obstetrics and quality at Duke University. Um, Dr. Hughes, welcome to the podcast. And I understand today you're going to talk with us a little about hepatitis. I am. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so Dr. Hughes, let's jump right into it. What are some of our learning objectives for today's podcast on viral hepatitis? So I'd say there are probably three primary learning objectives for this new practice bulletin that will be CPG that will be coming out um, that are important takeaways and are relatively new um, recommendations potentially. Um, the prior recommendation was always to do screening for hepatitis B surface antigen in pregnancy. This is accompanied now by a new recommendation that includes a triple panel for anyone who has not previously had a triple panel. Um, And so that would allow for an opportunity for vaccination in pregnancy. That's the first major learning objective in my mind. The second major learning objective is that hepatitis C screening is now recommended in pregnancy, um, and that is recommended in each pregnancy. Um, Ideally, uh, folks would have been screened actually prior to pregnancy and treated, um, uh, but if they haven't been, they they should be screened during pregnancy. And then the third recommendation is for patients with a positive hepatitis B surface antigen, really important to check a viral load um, because there is a recommendation for treatment during pregnancy if the viral load is elevated to decrease the risk of neonatal transmission. All right. Getting right to some of those top-line recommendations, which I think is really exciting about the new CPG and seeing an update in this. Um, No. Faye and I talked about hepatitis on the podcast probably now two or three years ago. And so 
things have changed. We even had to issue an interim update, as you'd mentioned, with some of those screening changes that have happened. But let's even jump back a little bit further, Dr. Hughes, to sort of the basics or the, the throwback to medical school, if you will. Um, I just remember the alphabet soup of hepatitis, right? A, B, C, D, E, and probably even a couple of other ones beyond that. Um, but when we think about hepatitis and sort of the, the varying forms or manifestations, you know, what are the ones that we should really recall? Um, what are the sort of the big things to take away with each of those disease states, particularly with respect to pregnancy, morbidity, mortality, et cetera? I'd say with respect to pregnancy, the big ones are hepatitis B and C because we are screening for those. And as you probably remember, when hepatitis B is accompanied by the E antigen, that one is really associated with more severe disease. Uh, so those are particularly of importance in pregnancy because it's really something that we should be thinking about every single day in caring for pregnant patients. There is also in the U.S. the potential for exposure to hepatitis A. So I'd say it's important to not forget about that one. It can make people pretty sick and we do have vaccination available for it. Um, and then if you remember hepatitis D uh, doesn't independently cause disease, it kind of goes along with hepatitis B um, and not really one that we would probably do a, be doing a lot of testing or screening for, but that's how you kind of keep it straight in your mind. And then hepatitis E is sort of the big bad actor that thankfully we don't really see very much of in the U.S., but can be associated with really severe disease um, in places where it's endemic. Well, thank you, Dr. Hughes, for giving us that overview for the hepatitides and their manifestations in pregnancy. Um, I know you had said one of the learning objectives was to talk more about the screening for hepatitides in pregnancy. So can you talk to us um, about that type of screening and specifically what's recommended for hepatitis B and hepatitis C? Sure. So I think the uh, sort of easier one probably is that there is now a recommendation for um, hepatitis C screening in pregnancy that is um, for the hepatitis C virus antibody. Um, and that is actually recommended now in every pregnancy, um, regardless of whether it was recently screened for. Um, the idea being that if that is positive, it would reflex to a PCR test. Uh, to look for evidence of active hepatitis C infection. Um, and so that is sort of the first um, new recommendation that we want to be sure that folks are aware of. And then how about for hepatitis B? Because I definitely know that uh, training as a resident it definitely was just like screening for the antigen, right? But it sounds like that's no longer going to be the case. So it actually is to some extent. So um, the hepatitis B surface antigen is still recommended um, for all pregnancies. And frankly, it is something that we need to do a better job of on a national level. It is um, something that is not quite as um, frequently um, screened for as it should be. Um, so it would be wonderful to get that to be really universal. Um, however, the newer recommendation that is going to be one that folks need to 
to learn a bit about is the addition of the triple panel um, for patients who have not previously had that uh, as an adult. And so the triple panel screening is the hepatitis B surface antigen, the anti-hepatitis B um, surface antibody, and then the total anti-hepatitis B core um, who don't have a documented negative triple screen after age 18. Um, or who haven't completed a vaccine series or those with ongoing risk factors. Um, so that is now a great opportunity for folks who have not had that screening before to know whether they are eligible for vaccination. Um, and so this will hopefully on a national and population level allow us to do a better job of ensuring that our population is vaccinated against hepatitis B here in the U.S. Awesome. So I sometimes get confused because whenever I see those different titers that come back, you know, you sometimes see positive hepatitis B surface antigen, but you have negative, um, you know, total anti, you know, hepatitis BC, for example. Um, how would you interpret the screening results that are possible for this new triple screen? And then what would you recommend depend on how we interpret those results? So um, the triple screen can um, help you a bit in terms of having a sense of whether or not someone has never been exposed um, to either the virus or the, or the vaccine. So if all of those are negative, it means that patient is eligible for vaccination. If the surface antigen is positive, it tells you that the patient has been likely exposed to uh, the hepatitis B virus. And the other portions of that can tell you um, whether that is more, whether it is likely to be currently active or not. And frankly, that part isn't going to be used clinically as much as it will be to identify people who are eligible for a vaccine. That's really a, the sort of take home of the triple panel. And if those are, uh, demonstrates that somebody is eligible for a vaccination, then they can be vaccinated. If the other pieces are positive, the first thing we're gonna to wanna to be doing is checking for a viral load um, to see if there's an elevated viral load in pregnancy because that will really guide your next steps in management in pregnancy. Um, and so those are sort of the ways that we in pregnancy will be using it. Obviously we will be um, collaborating with our infectious disease or GI um, consultants if we have tests that come back abnormal. Um, but the opportunity to identify those folks who are eligible for vaccination will be new to us and something that we'll need to get used to um, building into our practice. Oh, absolutely. And kind of moving the conversation along that way, you know, sometimes we have the fortune of getting to meet people prior to pregnancy. Um, and you no, know, certainly that would become a window for vaccination, I'm sure, is that if you demonstrate they've never been vaccinated before, then you might be able to sneak that in before they get pregnant. Um, but I think part of the CPG also goes into some pre-pregnancy counseling for the patient with, during screening who does find out that they have hepatitis B or hepatitis C infection. Um, what exactly should pre-pregnancy counseling look like or include for patients who, who 
find out or are known to have a hepatitis infection? So it uh, differs a bit by which type of hepatitis that they screen positive for. Um, we do know that um, in patients that have hepatitis C infection and are not yet pregnant, um, they could potentially benefit from uh, essentially a cure, a uh, sustained viral um, uh, response to medications prior to pregnancy. So in those with hepatitis C, it's really important to think about uh, pre-pregnancy, if they have elevated viral load, um, uh, getting them um, to uh, be seen with some of our collaborators like um, GI or infectious disease, depending on what it is at your local institution, and offering them the opportunity to have treatment prior to pregnancy. They could potentially, over the course of just a few months, cure their hepatitis C, essentially. Um, that would allow them to do a couple of things. One is live a healthier life um, for mom and decrease her risk, her long-term risk of liver cirrhosis and liver cancer, as well as decrease um, the risks in a future pregnancy of perinatal transmission. So um, we would love to see people with hepatitis C actually um, uh, be identified prior pregnancy, receive treatment, and enter a pregnancy um, with sustained um, viral response. With hepatitis B, um, it is also an opportunity if we identify it prior to pregnancy, because if they also have an elevated viral load, they may qualify for treatment before pregnancy. Um, it is not uh, like hepatitis C in that we don't expect a cure necessarily, um, but obviously we, we do want them to be seen and followed by um, uh, hepatitis specialists um, prior to pregnancy. And then there's a great opportunity at that point for vaccination as well. So um, in both cases, we would want to see um, vaccination against hepatitis A. And then um, if a patient does not have active hepatitis B, they could potentially be vaccinated for hepatitis B as well prior to achieving a pregnancy. Uh, so Dr. Hughes, that's um, definitely great counseling for patients before they become pregnant regarding hepatitis B and hepatitis C, but sometimes we're not fortunate enough to catch them beforehand, and we often uh, meet our patients during pregnancy and they have hepatitis B, for example. How does that change their care for when they're pregnant um, and when they're intrapartum and then even postpartum? Right. So in patients who have hepatitis B infection during pregnancy, of course, um, it's really important to evaluate how um, how impacted they are by their virus. Which we would again want to be collaborating with our um, colleagues who will care for them after their pregnancy, and we would want to assess for evidence of liver dysfunction or liver damage. Um, it's important to assess whether they have evidence of cirrhosis um, or and or active disease. The first reflex is really to um, check a hepatitis B viral load um, so that we can assess whether it's elevated and discuss the option of treatment during pregnancy to decrease the risk of perinatal transmission for those with an elevated viral load of greater than 200,000 international units. In those patients, we know that there have been several randomized trials, mostly done in Asia, that showed 
that treatment with um, antivirals, we most commonly use tenofovir, can decrease the risk of perinatal transmission over and above what they will gain by the use of HBIG and uh, vaccine to their infants. So uh, that is a relatively new recommendation to use that treatment. Typically, it starts around 28 to 32 weeks and it continues um, through the latter part of pregnancy. And when that is combined with the use of timely HBIG and hepatitis B vaccine administered to the neonate, their uh, risk of perinatal transmission can go from as high as 90% if they didn't have any of those interventions down to uh, less than 1%. And even in one study, it was 0% chance of transmission. So those, the combination of those interventions can really decrease the risk to the neonate of, of uh, developing hepatitis infection. No, that's incredible to be able to see that data. And there's not a lot of things, I feel like, in obstetrics where you can go from like a 90% certainty to an almost 0%. Um, that's really remarkable. Um, what is the story, though, with hepatitis C, I guess? Because, you know, you paint this picture of, will it be pre-pregnancy? No, we can try, but we can never quite suppress it the whole way. C, it sounds like we can suppress pre-pregnancy the whole way, but what if we miss our window and now we're managing active hep C during pregnancy? Is, are there things that we can do to minimize perinatal transmission? Right. So the uh, important thing, again, it will be that we want to be sure that a patient with hepatitis C has the opportunity to um, uh, see a hepatologist for their long-term health to be sure that they themselves are cared, are taken care of um, in the future. Uh, the risk of transmission of hepatitis C, thankfully, is lower than it is with hepatitis B without treatment um, in active disease. It is higher with higher viral loads, but on average, the risk of perinatal transmission is about 5%, um, which is uh, uh, obviously much better than 90. Um, and uh, the things that we generally do during the course of pregnancy are those that are sort of common sense um, approaches to uh, healthy eating, taking care of themselves, um, we know that people who are have a history of injection drug use, if they continue to use during the course of their pregnancy, have a higher risk of higher viral loads and likely higher risk of perinatal transmission. Um, so the more that we can engage um, those folks in care uh, to be sure that they're cared for throughout the course of their pregnancy, um, mm -hmm. that uh, can only benefit themselves and their neonates. We do things like trying to minimize the duration of um, ruptured membranes. So maybe not doing an uh, early um, artificial rupture of membranes um, and decreasing the use of uh, fetal scalp electrodes if we are able to. None of these things have been definitively linked to increased risk of transmission but they're sort of general common sense measures that if we can avoid the use of a scalp electrode, we try to um, and, uh, and with the hopes that that can potentially decrease even further than the 5% risk. 
currently the medications to treat hepatitis C aren't approved for use in pregnancy. Um, there is a multi-center study that is ongoing that's enrolling patients with hepatitis C infection to follow them throughout the course of their pregnancy with treatment um, to see whether treatment can be safe and efficacious uh, actually in pregnancy. Um, we don't have the results of that study yet. It's currently enrolling. But the hope is that we will develop more um, studies like that and potentially even randomized clinical trials to be able to evaluate whether or not um, therapy is safe for um, both maternal um, disease as well as as well as neonatal uh, exposure. I think the risk of or, um, neonatal exposure concerns are, are quite low, um, but we want to be sure that we are um, treating mom with optimal doses and actually achieving um, the sustained viral um, response that we would hope to see. Yeah, it's great to hear that there are studies ongoing for some of these treatment medications. Um, I wanted to pivot us a little bit now to vaccination in pregnancy. So um, what are the current recommendations for vaccination against hepatitis in pregnancy? And is it safe to do so in pregnancy or do we have to wait until postpartum? Yes, great, great point. And thank you for bringing it up. It is safe to vaccinate in, um, for hepatitis A and B in pregnancy. Um, it is part of the recommendation. Um, and these are these are not um, live viral um, vaccines, so um, very safe to use in pregnancy for people who are who are eligible. So um, those who haven't been vaccinated before, um, those who have you identify on your triple panel um, for hepatitis B, this is this is a great uh, time to be able to offer them the vaccine the vaccine uh, during pregnancy when they are engaged in healthcare on a regular on a regular basis. Um, all right. Well, additionally, I guess, you know, now that we know we don't have to wait till postpartum to vaccinate, I do want to think a little bit about some delivery postpartum things, though. Um, I think right now, as you mentioned, Dr. Hughes, we don't really alter obstetric management that much for hepatitis B and C. It's just do the common sense things, like you said. Um, but in thinking about after delivery, one of the questions that can occasionally come up is, is it safe to breastfeed, for instance, with hepatitis B, hepatitis C. Um, what say you to, to that question? For bringing it up, it is a common question that, that um, we get a lot. And um, we and the CDC do, do recommend that in patients who would like to breastfeed, that they should go ahead and breastfeed during um, the postpartum period, even if they have hepatitis B or C. Um, there is no evidence that having hepatitis um, uh, during breastfeeding increases the risk of transmission to the neonate. And we do know that breastfeeding um, is very healthy for moms and babies. And so we do, we do recommend doing it uh, even in the setting of hepatitis infection. There's probably a, it's probably a good idea to be a bit more attentive to ensure that uh, there are not cracked nipples and treating nipples and any active bleeding in the setting of breastfeeding would be important and certainly engaging a lactation consultant if that is um, something that a, that a patient is experiencing um, could be helpful. Uh, but overall, we know that breastfeeding is, is healthy and recommended and uh, that recommendation really shouldn't be altered by the presence of hepatitis B or C. 
See, Willie. No, thank you uh, again, Dr. Hughes, for joining us on the podcast. Um, this has been really exciting, and I'm glad that we've had the opportunity to talk about hepatitis and get for us on the side of recording this a sneak preview of this upcoming guidance. Um, <laughs> but for those of the folks who will be listening in on this, um, be sure to check out that new clinical practice guideline that is coming out August 17th. Thanks so much for having me. All right. I think that does it for today. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, go ahead and go into your favorite podcatcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at Craig's Over Coffee One, on Instagram and Facebook at Craig's Over Coffee, or if you love the show and want to support us, head over to patreon.com slash Craig's Over Coffee. Send us some love and we'll send you some swag. For show notes for this show, as well as all of our other episodes and the Rosh Review Question of the Week, go ahead and go onto our website, www.craigsovercoffee.com. And finally, if you have a question for us or a correction to this or any of our prior episodes or just want to say hi, email us, craigsovercoffee at gmail.com.